Hi guys, welcome to the Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Compass. I'd like to take a minute to talk about one of our sponsors, Parker Sporlin and Thermostatic Expansion Valves. How can you guys always have the right thermostatic expansion valve for the right application without having to carry hundreds of valves in your truck? Well, that's simple. Using Sporlin's interchangeable cartridge-style valves, the Q-valve for conventional and the BQ-valve for balance port. It, it, it's as easy as one, two, three. It serves thousands of unique applications. So one, you just select a thermostatic element for your application. Two, you select the body style you need. Three, you select the right size cartridge for the application. These easy to select and assemble valves mean you always have the right valve for the job on your truck. For more information on the Q and BQ valves, visit Sporland.com. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the episode. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. You're here with your host, Brett Wetzel and Kevin Compass. What do you got going on this week, Kevin? Well, this week I'm just running around like an idiot, just trying to button up a bunch of jobs and uh, trying not to die in Chicago when it's uh, 103 degrees. And uh, it's not that hot out here usually, so everything's on fire, everything's burning, every store might as well be on fire. We're like a, we're like above design ambient pretty much for just about everything, and uh, it's pretty miserable right now. I, I don't know how you do it. How, how hot is it there right now? Uh, day the high was eighty. This is the first time it's been below ninety in like a week and a half. We don't get days like that. Like we don't get days where it's like ninety for like two weeks straight. Like that that doesn't happen up here. We may get like a couple 90 degree days here and there. Then it's back down to the eighties. I mean, for it to stay 90 and get to a hundred as long as it has. And the humidity has been like absolutely miserable. It's mm-hmm. been, it's been pretty brutal. I cannot well, wait for, for fall. Well, that's the other thing too, right? You're, you're, you got city heat going on right now. Right. So, you know, basically, you know, it, the, the heat's just exacerbated. So yeah, and it makes a city smelly. If anyone's never worked in a city like, you know, like New York or, you know, like Jersey City or, you know, any of the big cities, like it just when it gets that hot is just unbearably just rotten. Everything smells like trash. (laughs) 
And it's just, it's absolutely horrible. Um, I am at home this week doing conference calls and finishing up some, some other training stuff. And then next week I'm heading out to Houston. Uh, uh, I, I think I'm leaving Monday night cause Monday, Monday, I guess is labor day. Yeah. Oh, so you've been sitting in the air conditioning for a week. That's nice. <laughs> I went on. Okay. I lie. I went, so I, 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 <laughs> I went out for a little bit. So, uh, we uh, we had a controller that lost its program, and you know I, I gave I gave someone a thumb drive with the program. I you know fortunately had you know had the program on there, and the controller just gave him the big middle finger and was like, nope, nope, we're not you know there's nothing on there. Um, I had to try to rename it. Um, if anyone's familiar, uh, the E2s you know uh, E2Es usually have a thumb drive in the back uh, access that you can stick a thumb drive in the back. Uh, the typical file when you save it to your computer using Ultrasight is a 003 file. Um, when you save it from the thumb drive, it's uh, E2B. It stands for easy to boot. Well, I guess uh, Kevin had informed me that there are some fir- versions of firmware where, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't really work all that well sometimes. And that's what we had. That's what we had. So I had to go down and, and basically load the uh, load the software onto that controller. So, but hey, yeah, guys, tonight- it's super disappointing when it does that. <laughs> so tonight we're going to cover uh, communication issues. Um, you know, guys have been asking for communication and control stuff. And it's just, man, it's summertime and it's it's hard enough just trying to, you know, work our schedules together to, to record and get some good quality stuff out. So I promise the control stuff is coming. Uh, but we're going to start off by doing some of the communication stuff first. Um you know, communication issues, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of common sense, really. Um, you know, sometimes it's it's trying to figure out, you know, what's taking out, you know, a whole entire communication loop. Sometimes it's easy. Maybe it's just, you know, a controller is just bad. Um, but when you have, you know, some sort of, you know, controller that's causing, you know, the whole comm loop to go down or you're having wiring issues, you know, where, you know, maybe you have mice in the system, uh, you know, in the store where it's basically you know, gnawing on the wires and shorting out a whole system. Um, you know, sometimes it's just process of elimination. A lot of helpful things is always getting the as-builts. Um, as-builts are basically just plans of how the wiring should be. Now, you talk to Kevin, and I'm pretty sure he's going to tell you that a lot of the as-builts he's oh, been getting here of late. <laughs> What's that? As-builts, according to the last, like, five electricians I've worked with, as-builts are just suggestions. So they just pull the comm loop however is easiest for them. Which is horrible because, I mean, they, you know, they don't they don't know the ins and outs and the controllers, right? There's, you know, you got the uh, S3C, you know, when we talked to Jim Jensen, he told us, you know, we can only have 38 controllers on that loop, right? And a total max of, I think it was 328 uh, feet of uh, Ethernet cable. So if the electrician's just going to take that as a suggestion, um guess what <laughs> you know he could have more you know more controllers on the loop than the way he's supposed to could have wire you know wire lengths longer than what it should be and you know basically you could you know could potentially cause issues where it's you know it's dropping down the the network intermittently because you know basically like the electrician or whoever you know ems guy whoever uh you know ran the wrong wire ran you know too far of length put too many controllers on the system whatever have you you know what i mean um you know, doing doing construction 
EMS stuff or any kind of demo stuff, like if, if they're doing a remodel is always just fun because, you know, there, there's, you know, people that are cutting wires and, and all kinds of other stuff. It's the absolute worst. It's not fun. What are you talking about? They'll, they'll church it up. It, it, like when, when they start removing cases and everything else, it is horrible. Especially well, when you get some, some electrician that's got his dick beaters in there and he's over there to cutting wires and next thing you know you got like four different com loops mixed up and next thing you know the e2 is just turning on and off like 40 times till it loses this program well or some, somehow they tie two different e2s together fun fact <laughs> if you do that you tie two different e2s together uh it reboots until it loses this program really yes so they had two different com loops that went into the general air, general same area, and they hooked up the com loops together, and it just kept pulling the pulling the system down. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was a store where they had you know A and B rack frozen food. They had ice cream in A rack, and they had frozen food in B rack. They were butted up back to each other. Well, we pulled out both lineups, and this old man electrician was over there. And he didn't want to listen to me because he knew better because he had 30 years experience. My, my favorite thing. And uh, he was spliced at the combos back in. And all of a sudden they walk out there and he's like, there's nothing in that controller, kid. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. I walk out there and I'm like, oh, that's cool. The one controller is completely blank, rebooted. Um, I'm looking, can't find it, can't figure it out, can't figure it out. Like two hours later, I realized that... Uh, I'm looking at the wires. I'm like, holy shit, they tied both com lines together. Turns out that'll make it lose a, lose a program at 2 a.m. That's amazing. And trying to get a hold of uh, the certain tech support that you need to get the program reloaded at 2 o'clock in the morning usually doesn't fare well. That's why you always back it up. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, so you have to be aware that, you know, it's uh, there is voltages given off on a lot of different uh, com loops. Uh, IONET, um, BACnet, um, you know, there, there's usually a voltage not only given out from the controller, but also all the, all the, you know, all the, uh, IO boards and stuff that's actually on the, on the loop. Um, so that's why like you can have stuff shorted like on a case controller. And I know we've talked about this before where basically you can have a, I've seen this happen with a 678 where basically the bipolar stepper motor basically shorts out and then the voltage from the case controller actually ends up going through the com loop and taking out the PIB board on the, on the E2. And there's had a 679 do it. Really? Store on Friday, it burned out the com loop. It burned out a resistor on the board. It threw through the, it was on the land side. It threw it through the land on the first re- through CB and A, and then it went from the land port to the mod bus. It blew up three more controllers, and then it took out uh, took out the uh, PIB card on the E two. So the the, the difference between the six seventy eight and the six seventy nine six seventy eight is the bipolar stepper motor version, and the six seventy nine is the pulse width modulation. So you know you're only dealing with the bipolar stepper motor. You're only dealing with twelve to eighteen volts DC. Uh, you know, you're dealing with potentially what one usually 120 is a, that's what they're using for the coils. It put 120. It put 120 in the loop. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it literally, 
when the uh, the fitter that was there because I had left for the I had left for the week, he kept telling me the comm line was shocking him, and I'm like, I don't I don't know what you're talking about. Quit being a pussy. I go, it, it, it's like two volts. He's like, no, it's shocking me. I'm like, okay. And then he's like, I dropped it, and it just it arced against the case. <laughs> and he's like, there's like 93 volts on the comm loop. I'm like, oh. That's bad. new. I go, well, it's Friday, so uh, there's no food in that store. So we'll just deal with that on Monday. Gotcha. No, so the, um, you know, like I said, the case controllers are, you know, and, and the IO boards are all putting out voltage and the board's putting out voltage. So, you know, you, you can have stuff that's shorted and basically cause it, you know, to, to take down the loop. Um, most of the time, you know, they're supposed to, you know, just start one line from the, from the controller, whether it be Dan Foss or, you know, uh, CPC and basically run out to the first controller and daisy chain all the way out. Sometimes some stores, they decide to make the controller actually the center of the loop. And when that happens, you know, you don't know which, you know, which comm loop that's, you know, hooked up to that same port is actually pulling down the network. So that's where I said, you know, the process of elimination comes in hand, right? So basically you discount, you know, if the, the comm loop keeps dropping in and out, basically pull off you know, both wires and then connect one at a time and, and see which, you know, if it, if the board's, stay online that are connected to one set of comm loop. And then you'll be able to trace it out with the as built and basically try to, you know, figure out where that comm loop goes. So you can actually trace it out to see if you have some sort of short. Uh, the only easiest way I know to actually check for a short in the communication loop is, you know, finding where all the case controllers are pulling all the wires off of the case controller, like pulling the, pulling the, the Molex plug right off the, off the side there and basically measuring the resistance, um, you know, from each leg to ground, uh, then also measuring each leg to itself. And then that at least will tell you if you have, um, if you have anything shorted, you know, together. And that's where I said before, you can have uh, mice that chew through lines, you know, someone, uh, when they were pulling the wire, it had, uh, you know, a little, little cut in there. And after a little bit of a year, it just ended up to, you know, degrading and then end up, you know, shorting out. Um, and then the final check for the wire integrity, is basically at the end of the loop, uh, wire all the three legs together. And basically you should have even ohms, right? Because I mean, it basically, if you're running a hundred feet worth of, worth of wire and it's like one ohm per 30 foot, you know, basically each side should add up to, you know, you know, let's just say 84 ohms on each side. If it does not, then you know that you have some kind of crappy connection, but that's, that's not going to cause a shorted connection, but that is going to cause controllers to intermittently, you know, cut in and out. It gets really complicated when you have, you know, multiple comm loops that are all connected up. Uh, some some older Walmart stores that have the XR75s, uh, they all speak on an echelon and they use what are called repeaters. So usually the, the E2 just has one uh, echelon echelon port on there and basically it goes out to, uh, you're giving me a look. Go ahead. Are, are, are you talking about the old school controlling controllers? Yeah. Are you talking the Dixel XR six seventy? No, no, no. Just the just the seventy fives. The 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 one that had it had a uh, a display right on the top, and it basically just reported the temperature back. Oh, 
Yeah, the the the, the blue Dixels. No. You talk about the green control links. Yeah, is that what? Uh, that's not the that wasn't the part number. No. Now you're gonna make, now you're gonna make me look it up. <laughs> but some of those controllers, like I said, you know, they speak on Echelon, and basically they they use a repeater. Um, you know, so you don't have to have one whole com loop that might be you know three hundred foot, and that way you can basically split up the communication loop. You know, going over to these set of cases, these set of cases, and these set of cases. It's basically almost like a little router, um, but it's called a repeater. Um, you can have those connected all up together, especially if the E2s are speaking still on Echelon. Um, we had a store where the store had five five E2s, and all five E2s just kept turning off and rebooting, every single one. Um, so this was up in Oklahoma, and I happened to be going up there the next day, but I just decided you know, to go up that night um, because the whole store was down. They were getting told they were going to have to run Ethernet wire to all the controllers and get them communicating that way. Um, so basically all I had them do is, you know, doing process of elimination, basically, you know, disconnecting every single uh, echelon cable going out to every single, you know, com loop and basically plug in one and see if the case controller reset didn't do it. And then just keep going and going and going. And then finally they found, you know, the last one they plugged in, it caused everything to reset again. So we knew at that point that we on that communication loop, we basically had a short somewhere. And at that point, we had to, you know, either find the as built or just look in the, you know, in the network status to see what controllers are offline and basically try to trace out, you know, hypothetically where it might go if we can't find the as builds. Um, and what had happened was we traced it back to, uh, they usually have some deli cases in the front and then it goes over to the bakery. Well, that line that went underground, same thing with the refrigeration lines, they were chewed through probably about six inches by a bunch of mice. And ended up, that's what, you know, ended up taking out all the, the communication loops. Yeah. Echelon is the worst communication protocol ever. Why? Why don't you like it? It's the most difficult to troubleshoot. Yeah, because, well, see, we were talking about voltages before, right? And in Echelon, there's no, there's no voltages that you can check um it would actually have to be done from my understanding with an oscilloscope which i still don't have and i don't i don't intend to purchase one yeah i mean uh yeah so we were talking about con voltages and splitting for splitting the network um that, that's generally what I try to get guys to do um, is I start them having to split the network. So like when, when I, when I'm dealing with it and, and I'm having uh, the com issues. So the first thing I do, if I'm, if everything's offline, I'll pull, I'll, I'll look at it from this way. We'll start with CPC. Um, I, I will generally start at the controller and I'll see what's offline and what com ports are down. And then I will generally unplug um, the main the main board, uh, the PIB board. So in the E2, they call it the PIB board. That's where your com ports and power are. So 
what they're going to do, you're going to want to do is you're going to want to unplug whatever COM port you're having an issue on. You want to check your voltages coming out of the board itself. So me and Brian are get more into this voltage thing later on. We're, we're kind of getting down some of the uh, base for this. And then if you have decent COM voltages coming out of your PIB board, what you're going to want to go to next is you're going to want to check it on the wires with it unplugged from the PIB board. Okay, and if I have really bad COM voltages on the wires from the PIB board, what I start doing is I start splitting up the network. If it's one wire, I go about this differently. If I have multiple wires coming off of that one port, I will split them up and plug them in one at a time, see if I can get them on. So if you plug the first one and the COM line comes on, those boards all come on, okay, that one's good. Then I'll plug in the next one. If that one comes on and every, everything comes on on that one, cool. Then I'll plug in the third one. If I plug a third one in, everything goes down. Now I know I got to start looking at that one. I'll start looking at the boards on that one. A lot of comp troubleshooting is like visual, like Brett said, just paying attention to what's around you, looking, looking for burnt, burnt, burnt boards, water damage boards. Um, water damage is a huge thing, especially in case controllers. I, I think I find more water damage case controllers than anything in intermittent comp stuff. Um, and then just looking for loose wires. But I'm gonna tell you right now, 90% of comp failures are not from loose wires, like guys write up. I mean, if you're getting intermittent comp failures, uh, another thing to check, like with CPC, you can go to that board and hit uh, expanded information. And you could see how many errors it's had over time, how many uh, failed to transmit, how many failed to receive. If you have a board, if it's just one board with a massive amount of errors over time, then that board could be intermittently failing. You know, it could have good voltages when you test it and all that stuff, but it could be intermittently failing. Go ahead, Brett. Well, I was going to ask you, uh, you know, just playing where that is in the menu, right? So they know. So if you had uh, Alt and then you go to N, you bring up the network screen. So Alt N. And you can go to the any board and uh, you could see, you just hit uh, expanded information. You could see how many failures it's had. Yeah, on some uh, some different controllers, right? They have, um, like a Novar, they call them coefficient failures. And you'll see the numbers rise. Unfortunately, with Novar, though, um, you have to have um, someone with higher access to basically clear it. A lot of times, like if I see a store that has a lot of, lot of communication issues um, and if I suspect that, you know, hey, I think I got it, I'll basically have them clear all the coefficient failures. Um, basically, that the, the amount of times it's failed to transmit and receive. And once I get that, once that cleared, I can go back the following day and see if there's anything else that might be, you know, maybe I didn't get to the root cause. Maybe I just I found a star configuration in one thing. I cleared that up. I found uh, a wire that basically went to nowhere. Cleared that out. All right, let's see if that fixes it. Clear the coefficient failures. Come back tomorrow and see, you know, see what it looks like. So Novar starts counting up in the amount of seconds in time that the board's in com loss on the older legacy Novar stuff, which is actually nice because you see that on the newer Slopus junk. Um, it, uh, don't laugh. I will never say anything positive about that thing. <laughs> I mean, I have never wanted to smash my head against a controller more than that, that thing, but 
I mean, that, that it, it you just get a network down thing, and it doesn't tell you how long it's been down, how many seconds, which makes it kind of difficult to troubleshoot. But that's if the screen works half the time. I've never found one that hasn't not worked. Oh, my uh, God. So uh, many of them. Unless we're talking control. <laughs> I have a screen in my van that I could plug into those things because there's so many that are messed up in Chicago. What, the control? No, the uh, Opus controllers. They have like a ticking time bomb, and they're failing like crazy. Are you talking about the new ones, the twenty fives? No, uh, the old, the older Opuses. Oh, okay. Huh? Maybe because it's they, in Chicago. Well, yeah. <laughs> you conveniently have to change out the entire controller. Do you really? Oh, yeah. And well, and I just I found this out a couple months ago that, you know, just because it's a, you know, whatever controller, there are different, different versions of that. You can't just take an Axiom 20 that I had sitting in my van that we ripped out of another store. I can't just take it to the store down the road that lost the controller because there's no licenses in that controller for what they have there. And they refuse to put the licenses in there. So you can just throw away all the food because you're going to throw away all the food before you get those licenses. Oh, it'll run and fail safe. Until everything ices up and, uh, yeah. Well, it, it, what? It only takes two, two, three weeks to get a controller if they have one, right? So I could rip one out and just put an E2 in it half that t- in a quarter of that time. Yeah, so if you're not aware, you you can actually do a um, layover. Yeah, 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 layover. Uh, yeah, uh, from whatever CP. You wanna, whatever you want to call it, layover, overlay. Overlay. I, like I was like, I've never, I've never heard someone call it that. No, but the the, the I've done overlays for um, uh, Comtroll to Danfoss. I've done uh, E2 to Comtroll. And I have not actually done one, but I've helped program, um, you know, the E2 to uh, Novar boards. That's why if you look at the Alt-M menu, uh, if you hold in the Alt button, hit the letter M. And I think if you scroll over, hit the F2 button twice, it'll bring you up to the communication delays. And that's why it has um, MOD delay, which is Modbus, and then it has NOVR that's Novar delay, and then CMTL delay, and then Ionet, and then peer-to-peer, which is Ethernet, Ethernet delay. So I actually did the first CPC to Novar swap over that was not done by Emerson. Really? Remember when that rack house fell through the, fell through the building in Chicago? Yes. So when client pros got there and uh, we started putting in a rack house that we had at the shop that caught on fire at a Walmart that we, they had bought and it was a brand new rack house. It had smoke damage. So they, they, they shit canned the entire mechanicals in the store and never even got tied into at that point. Um, so we, we dropped that rack house there. Well, it obviously had no bar in there and we didn't have enough boards to get everything online. And, I bought a license. They actually didn't even charge me for it because they didn't even know how to charge for it. Um, because nobody <laughs> ever asked them for it. Yeah, because so, they usually do them themselves. They do them themselves, and it's some kind of like deal they work on with Walmart. Well, so I ended up getting a license for it, 
and I used all the old legacy Novar boards. You could use everything but a MinIO or a backnet board, any like uh, compressor board, condenser board. Uh, some random weird stuff with that though, with the uh, the CTs um, taking out the com or affecting the way. It it would it would wig out the E two sometimes with a couple of the CTs that they got like real high amp draw, but that was like on a real early version. It's supposedly that's fixed now, but honestly, it was uh, cake and it worked pretty good. And then I had uh, I just had one multiflex board in the entire thing and an ESR board driving uh, driving uh, CDS valves doing defrost differential because I had to make the the liquid pressure regulator. For the liquid header, uh, like how Walmart uses, I'd use that as a defrost differential valve. Get the hell out! Oh yeah. So they actually oh, yeah. I mean, they had hot wait they had hot gas defrost for that. So the store was hot gas defrost that we dropped the rack in. So we had to peel off a discharge header. It was a three pipe store. We had to peel off a discharge header, and I used the uh, I used the liquid pressure header regulator as defrost differential valve. So it's, uh, I'm assuming, so this, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So I'm assuming it was probably maintained if it's 407, it was maintained 148 all the time. Right. And then basically whenever it would go into defrost, you would, you know, use the two pressure oh, transducers. So it was, so this store ran whatever it was 507. So we, the racks were designed for 407 a, it was rerun 507 in there. Um, Obviously, it, 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 this whole thing was just like a make it work thing. So, uh, we the, we opened the headers between the two, piped them together, and then I used the liquid pressure regulator that was that would normally keep the loop at like one thirty eight to one forty two. I took that, and then when I got a call for defrost, it would run it to a twenty pound diff. When it wasn't in defrost, it would force the valve wide open. Okay. The only thing I have to say about doing any of the overlays with CPC, and and that's that's with Comtroll or that's with um, uh, Novar, um, it isn't just you know board number and and point. Uh, it's using what are called pointers, um, which can get a little confusing if you don't know your way around. Um, but it can be done, obviously. But back to the communication stuff. Yeah. Uh, Back to the comms. So um, I want to go over like the different comms. So we have Modbus, which is a communication protocol. So we're going to go over all these. These are all the different communication protocols we use. Modbus, uh, typically called Modbus RTU. It's an open protocol that uh, a lot of manufacturers use. So Dixel is all Modbus. Um there's all kinds of Modbus RTU stuff, BFDs. Then you have Lonworks. Lonworks is an is a completely open protocol. Um, anybody could use Lonworks. It, Echelon is as long as they buy their chipset, anybody could use it. And Lonworks has a specific neuron, what they call a neuron ID. It's like a social security card number. So you can't address a, the, a board with Lonworks. You have to. Uh, ping the, the, uh, the neuron ID or type the neuron ID in. Every single board has a unique signature. Uh, Lonworks, unlike most comms, don't have any voltages on the network. 
So a lot of times you have to ohm out uh, com lines, like some, like, for example, microthermal wants a 59 ohm resistor on the, on the, the loop. You should have 59 ohms at, from the beginning of the loop to the end of the loop. Um, that's what they're looking for. Bondworks is specific on the type of wire you could use. It, it has to be on shielded cable. And generally, it's a certain twist per inch, and it's uh, a certain gauge cable, like 18. microthermal uh, 16, actually. I just looked at well, all right because I just looked up the spec for um, for that job that I did, um, and it, it the it was it was echelon cable. It was it was eighteen gauge wire for that. Yeah, particular. if that was CPC, then that, that they're like that. Microthermal is they say eighteens or sixteens, but I mean, if you want a good quality network, it's been sixteens here lately, which is what I've been pulling. Uh, depends on the customer. So Lonworks is the most. Um, detrimental around electronics, uh, VFTs, 460. You want to keep everything away from it. That, that's for all comm stuff, but Lonworks even more. Lonworks is specifically has noise issues. So, and you could have all kinds of weird issues with Lonworks if you don't have that. Like Brett said, you need a oscilloscope. And that's and that's um, because the the wire is not shielded, right? So they say to not shield the wire because it picks up more noise. That's that's why they don't shield the wire. Because a shielded wire, the shield actually picks up noise and then it grounds it to ground. If it takes the shield and it and it's supposed to direct that that down there, but apparently in line works it causes more problems than it solves. Hmm. So that's why everybody says use on shielded cable, I guess. Um so then we have uh Every every control system pretty much has their own perpetual comm system. Like CPC or Emerson has IO network. That's their that's their comm loop. That's their like board design. Like that's all their stuff. Just like Dan Foss has TP eighty seven, and then they have the RS forty five. Is it a lawn lawn seventy eight? Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, TP seventy eight. I mean, yeah, it's TP seventy eight. So, um, go ahead. Go ahead. No, what I was going to say and is then, uh, on Danfoss, they have, uh, like you said, the 45 and the Echelon. Uh, echelon is typically used for the, uh, um, or the TP78 is usually used for the, you know, the, the all the IO, IO boards, all the inputs and output boards. The 45 that's on, on the boards, um, typically there's only one port, and that's usually used to communicate from controller to controller. Um, now if you do, you know, you, you know, sometimes you use things differently. So like when you do like an overlay for, um, a control to like a 255, you actually utilize the 45 port for all the, uh, for all the control boards. And then basically use a ethernet hub, you know, to basically, you know, link all the controllers together, which I actually like better. Um, cause when you do that, you can actually look at. Um, if you're on rack A, you can typically look at rack C or B, or if you're at a logger in the front of the uh, front of the store by the manager's office, you can basically look at that, you know, look at all the controllers before you even roll back to the machine room. Um, and on a lot of these networks, there's always usually a terminating resistor and it's always different. Um, you know, resistors uh, aren't just, you know, all the resistors used in communication loops uh, aren't, aren't 
like typical tolerance resistors. Uh, they're typically what are called precision resistors. Um, you know, on a typical resistor, you can have, you know, 10%, 5% uh, error, you know, error in, in the reading. Um, but usually, you know, a precision resistor is, I think, less than 1% off of what it's supposed to be. Hey, guys, I want to take a break and talk about Westermeyer, one of our other sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Westermeyer Industries, the leader in oil management and pressure vessels for the commercial refrigeration industry. Repairing refrigeration lighting can be performed quickly and profitably by utilizing the Illuminosity Kensington Refrigeration LED. Kensington was developed by the supermarket refrigeration community to be a near-universal solution for refrigeration lighting repairs. At Illuminosity, we saw the frustration of technicians making multiple trips to the store sites to determine the correct parts. Labor pileups, dispatch remains open for months, high prices for the replacement parts by the OEM, and customers refusing to pay for all this effort, leading to unbillable or end-of-life invoices. Our goal was to develop the Swiss Army Knife LED that technicians can carry on their trucks or at their shops to provide a one-and-done lighting repairs at a profit. Once your customers experience the clean, bright Kensington LED, they will be asking for more and making you more profits. The Kensington LED features secure metal mounting bracket for an internal driver, near universal solution for reach-in doors and air cases, walk-in and prep rooms, one-and-done repairs, easy and labor-efficient to install. They have a built-in LED driver that has a universal 120-277 volt input, easy and secure mounting, HVAC and refrigeration contractors in the United States. They're made for damp locations, rated IP44. They have a seven-year warranty, available in four, five, and six-foot lengths, and they're tested in all major brands of refrigeration units. They're also utilized by most of the major. For information and pricing, please contact Pete Murata at Illuminosity. His email is Pete, P-E-T-E, at I-L-U-M-I-N-O-S-I-T-Y dot com. His cell phone number is 209-814-8129. Check out Kensington Refrigeration LED and our full line of quality products at www.iluminosity.com. That's www.i-l-u-m-i-n-o-s-i-t-y.com. Thanks for listening, guys. Right on. <laughs> um, and, then, and then lastly, we have BackNet, which just about everything is going to BackNet right now. So, like Walmart made this big push a couple of years ago. They wanted everything backnet. Backnet is what they call engineers protocol. Like it's a big building engineer building protocol for like uh, HVAC stuff. Just about everything can be backnet. It is a basically group of points you could read and write to. A lot like Modbus. Um, it's an RS four eighty five protocol. So. It is uh, con voltages. It's why you see like everything in Walmart now is backnet. Whether it's uh, Novar, whether it's um, Sporland talking to Novar, that's all back. That's all backnet. 
So what they're, what they're doing with that is CPC can even do backnet. I mean, they, they have tons of backnet stuff, Your Linux rooftop stuff, uh, carrier rooftop stuff. Everybody is, everything's about integration now. They're trying to push all these control systems to integrate to each other. And I mean, they're trying to make it so everything can talk to each other. So they could take this case lineup and make it SC3s, this case lineup and make it uh, Dixel stuff, this case lineup over here uh, with this controller. They, they want everything to be open protocols, which is, is where all these control systems are fighting each other right now because none of them want to be open protocols because they all want to sell their boards and their hardware. Well, now they're not. They're just selling the front end. So um, that's why you see this big push to backnet because it's, it's a group of points and they have to follow a standard so everybody could read and write to these points that does backnet controls. Not just that, but they, you know, they, they want, you know, we're used to, you know, like um, bullseye stores, you know, they have uh, ALC, you know, for, you know, their communication for their uh, HVAC and, you know, what I've seen usually, you know, Emerson for their, for the refrigeration. And now, you know, everyone's trying to get, you know, why should I have two different systems? Why am I paying for two different systems? You know, everything should be, you know, basically integrated with each other. You know what I mean? That's what, the, you know, that's why they're trying to do that. You know, that's why you can have, you know, like you, like you stated before about the, you know, backnet being controlled through E2 for um, uh, the Linux stuff or the carrier stuff. Yeah. Everything's going to open protocols. I mean, we're, we're light years behind the HVAC side. I mean, they've, they're to the point where you could have a Linux, you could have a Linux rooftop on a train control system that's controlled by or accessed by Metasys. I mean, there's they're light years ahead of us on graphics and stuff. I mean, most of our stuff is done as cheaply as possible on, on our end, so we we get the the crappy graphics and the box, the brick controllers. So. But I mean, that's a customer driven thing, but I, that's going to be changing soon. I think it's just everybody's being pushed to integrate. So. So on all these different protocols, you know, that everyone has their own little niche, right? Um, Echelon, uh, I don't believe is there. There's not there's not different baud rates on on Echelon, correct? I don't think so. But like I'm back Okay, but on BACnet, Modbus, IONet, you know everything basically is, you know has its own baud rate. What baud rate is is basically the speed at which it's uh, you know communicating. Um, so if you have one controller communicating at you know ninety six hundred where it's talking normal, and then you have another one controlling at one hundred and fifteen point two k baud, and it's talking like the micro machine guys, so you can't understand it. So the two you know systems can't basically understand and you know basically drops information, drops segments of you know, important information going back and forth. And that's why you have to make sure all the controllers as well as the main, uh, the main system that you're working on is all set, you know, for that loop for, you know, for the same, uh, same baud rate. Um, and there are stuff that, you know, can't communicate on certain, on, on certain baud rate, right. Um, any Dixel product, you know, you, you can change the baud rate on those. Um, usually they should typically be set up for about 115.2 because they're transmitting so much data, you know, back and forth. The percentage of the valve, you know, all the superheat settings, where the valve is, you know, and all that other stuff. 
where the IONET boards, you know, aren't really passing a bunch of information. So, you know, putting that 9600 isn't a real big deal. Um, but then, you know, you might have case controllers that are on Modbus. And then maybe you have the CoreSense modules that you have, you know, communicated to, you know, the, the E2. Um, and basically, if, you know, you, you might not be able to put those on the same uh, COM port because, you know, if the case controllers are speaking 115, um, you know, maybe those uh, core sense modules have to be at 9600 and you basically can't have those two intertwined because they're talking at a different speed. So with some of that stuff, I generally try to run everything in 19.2, even like the, the Dixel stuff. I find those case controllers work better at 19.2. Emerson says 9600 sometimes and then some stores you see them at 19.2. I run my stores at 19.2, and then same thing with all the Copeland stuff. It seems to mesh up a lot better. Like, I've never had problems running at 19.2 until you get to CoreLink. I think there, there's then, a bunch, bunch of people that have issues with CoreLink. Yeah, like even RDM, which can integrate with just about anything. Um, you know, there's only certain ways that you can communicate with it. And, yeah. Although, be it the fact that RDM is like basically like a uh, like a web web based controller, a lot of the CoreLink controllers have their own uh, you know HTTP uh, uh, address. Right. You know, so you can put it in there and, and basically bring it up on the RDM. I've done that before, plugged in the computer to it. So RDM is the closest we get to building controller. I mean, RDM is probably the most open protocol controller there is. I'm pretty sure it could do everything. I mean, those guys have told me they can make it talk to CPC boards that they want. Mm -hmm. I don't think Emerson would allow that or like that, <laughs> but they can do it. Um, I'm pretty sure they could do just about everything. They could probably even do Danfoss if they wanted to. Well, they got, they you know, the one store I saw them talking to, um, you know, uh, I believe an ALC board, and then another store I saw them talking to a uh, same store it was they were talking to a CoreLink, and then that you know they had it talking to their RDM controllers, and you know they had probably like five or six different controllers that they were actually talking to, um, and I believe they can actually also communicate to the Linux the Linux stuff. Um, you know the uh, the pro uh, is that pro I literally think they can do anything like they, they they that controller has every single communication protocol in it. Wow. Like e even Ethernet, like it it literally has every single communication protocol in that controller. And CPC has the the you know, it may not necessarily be in the options, um, but there is a, a list of licenses that you can buy um, when you have a controller coming out the gate. Um, you know, an RX four hundred, um, it has the capability to talk to an S three C, but you have to buy the license for that. Um, they also, if they, you know, from my understanding, if they have a customer that has a special need that something they wanted integrated, um, they have guys out there that will actually, you know, learn the protocol that that is communicating with and, and kind of, you know, mesh it in with, um, the E2 and actually build a license for it. So they're able to do that. Allegedly. I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> it's very, very rough in the beginning. I'm not saying it's not rough. I'm just saying it's it's feasible. 
Yeah, it's uh, let me tell you this Emerson is damn proud of their licenses, too. Yeah, they really get you with those ones, <laughs> <laughs> those, those add up quick, but no, yeah. like, yeah, like Brett said, you, I mean, you can get licenses for just about anything, so. I mean that that's why all these communication protocols are coming in. Same with RDM. I mean, they're newer to the US. I mean, you're gonna start seeing them a lot more, I think. I mean, they're all over Texas now. I mean, up here, I think Fresh Time's the only one that uses RDM. And they have some smaller, smaller like convenience store stuff that they were telling us when we went to training for it. Um but yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, like everything, everything HVAC base is, you know, they use what are called Jays controllers, which is a controller that can talk to just about anything. Um, because like you said, it's in the way open protocol that it can communicate. Um, back to communication stuff, um, you know, just making sure that you guys are aware. Um, you know, I, I touched on the termination resistors uh, lightly, but, you know, you have to go by the wiring standard per the manufacturer, um, you know, Per you know, uh, per per the best wiring practices. Uh, I know Microthermal has you know their best wiring practices. You know where it actually breaks down what wire you need. You know what the resistance should be, and so on and so forth. Um, also, uh, CPC does have one as well. Uh, I believe there's one for Danfoss, but I haven't looked at it for a minute because I haven't worked on a, a Danfoss controller in a minute. Um, but you have to make sure that the terminating resistor is is the exact one. Um, they're uh, on ALC. Um, they on their older boards they would use a regular 120 ohm precision resistor, and now uh, with their newer boards, there's usually a four po- uh, four port uh, prong plug. It looks like it's uh, the same plug that they use on the back of the MPAS variable speed evaporator fan motors. That's what it looks like. Um, but basically, there's a uh, plug-in resistor. The only the only bear about that is if the controller has lost power because it's a power-based uh, chip. It actually looks like, they refer to it as a sponge pop because that's exactly what it looks like. It's basically a small rectangle board that um, has orange shrink wrap on it and it literally looks like SpongeBob SquarePants. But if that board is not lit off, you lost an evaporator fan motor or the unit lost power, that one board not having the terminating resistor on that loop could potentially cause the whole loop to go down or the whole loop to have intermittent communication issues. And like on something like CPC, you know, the, anything on the IO net, um, usually you have the terminating um, jumpers on there that tells you, you know, how to terminate it, how to not terminate it. Uh, anything that's uh, Modbus for CPC uses also a precision, uh, precision resistor as well. Um, you know, and there's different nuances to everything. I mean, with the Modbus stuff, you know, usually like the IO net, the IO net stuff. You know, if black is your if black is your positive, uh, red is your negative, and then you know, shield is is uh, you know the, the shield part, right? The silver. Um, you, you go like for like, right? On Modbus stuff, typically, um, they have you actually reverse. Uh, they invert. They basically invert the wire. So if if you know the positive was uh, black, you know, then basically your negative on your case controllers are going to be black. Uh-oh. So just about any time with Emerson, just about, not every single time, but any time you're doing a third-party controller, 
whether it be a Nidec drive, uh, Danfoss drive, any any kind of third party Dixel, uh, KE2, that stuff, you're gonna want to invert invert the com loop. So you want to invert it at the controller. Do not do it at the cases. Why? Because that becomes confusing. To who? So <laughs> to somebody who has to come back and troubleshoot it later. So you're gonna want to invert the com. Novar is the same way with a lot of stuff. Uh, Novar, some some certain boards like uh, black label and white label min IOs. Um, I think the black label min IOs have to have the com line inverted. If you're on legacy Novar, if you're um, if you were a white label min IO, it would be the same as the uh, Spectrum boards. So. That's why certain boards that you got to really pay attention. Certain boards, uh, you may need to invert the com line on, and it, it'll tell you, you know, in there what what happens. All Modbus Dixel stuff with an E2, you have to invert the com line. All Nidec drives, same way. So black would be positive, or if you're at Walmart, uh, you know, white and black are po- white is positive, black is negative. Um, you're going to invert it still. So that's that's one thing to really look out for is when you invert the com. And then second thing I want to talk about is uh, transformer voltages. Huge missed problem. So make sure transformers are tapped properly. If you have a 208 rack, it's probably going to come out tap 240. So if you've got 205 volts, you know, 200 volts, uh, and, and you're tapped for 240, you may only be getting 18 volts of transformer, 17 volts. Well, that may intermittently drop down when it's 100 degrees in Chicago or Texas, and you know, you, everybody's running their air conditioning and the power grid really sucks and they're getting real low voltages. Well, now it's going to be a real big problem because say it gets down to 198. Well, now you're dropping to 15, 16 volts, and now you got com boards dropping out randomly. Time you get there. It's cooled off a little bit, and next thing you know, the voltage is back up, and uh, your voltage, you got 21, 22 volts. You think it's fine. So that's another big thing to check. I always check make sure my transformers are tapped properly. And then let's talk about center tap transformers. So some boards require center tap transformers. A center tap transformer is basically where they tap the middle windings, um, and then they're getting uh, 12 volts out of it. So from the hot to the center tap, you get 12 volts. From the common to the center tap, you get 12 volts. And across the transformer, you get 24. So like Emerson, all boards that do one function need tapped. It's the easiest way to remember this. So any board that performs one function, whether it's an output board, an input board, an ESR board, those boards all do one thing. They need to be center tapped. If a board can, does multiple things, like a multiplex board, it does not need to be center tapped. That is the easiest way to remember that. You know, also make sure that, you know, even though the schedule or whatever says that, you know, it, it's supposed to be, you know, an X, you know, a 240 volt transformer or whatever, just verify that. Um, I've had a couple of new racks come out of a certain manufacturer where, you know, they said they were supposed to be a dual tap, uh, you know, 208, 240, and they weren't. They were basically only 240. So the same instance that Kevin was just talking about, you know, it, it would run fine all day long and around two, anywhere from two to four o'clock, the highest part of the day, you know, basically voltage would drop down 
you know, we get the call again, you know, guy would go later that night where it would cool off, no problem. Then we get the call again the next day because it was just an intermittent voltage issue. And that, that transformer thing is, is a really good thing to remember, especially even doing with rooftop units. Um, you know, I know we're dealing with calm, but like, you know, just to put it out there, when you guys are, are dealing with, you know, HVAC issues, one of the first things you check is, is, you know, the transformer tapping because those things are slammed in there really fast, not really done an efficient startup. Um, always check transformers on anything just to make sure you don't have that issue, especially big cities, you know, where you have a large draw on the grid. And I remember being down in Philly and, you know, the voltage would get down to 184. You know, we had to end up putting uh, phase loss monitors on a lot of the equipment, even single systems, because, you know, the grid would go down, um, voltage would drop down that low and we ended up burning out four or five compressors on a, on a facility, you know? Yeah. It's all, it's all like every store is in like residential areas in Chicago where especially the older parts of the city where they get like two, they're only getting 208 service, not 460. It's a disaster. Like you're lucky to get 196, 195 is pretty good in the middle of summer. They eat condenser fan builders for, for breakfast. It's awesome. The um, big bet. Oh, they love it. Love it. Um, so that's one big thing is transformer tapping, you know, for looking at comm stuff. And then for the love of God, if you're running a comm line or you're doing anything, label the damn wires to and from. I cannot, that has got to be my biggest pet peeve with electricians is them not labeling wires to where it goes and where it's from. It wasn't on so the spec. I do that. Oh, the uh, suggestion sheet. It's the suggestion sheet. <laughs> uh, so I, I, when I do my stuff, I am a Nazi about this. I want everything heat shrinked, all the comm line inch heat shrinked. But I buy the perma sleeve wraps on the label maker roll. They're expensive, but they're worth it because you don't got to do two things at once but uh and i uh i label where it came from and where it's going so that way you know the in and the out that way i know where all the wires go because it'll make it so much easier to troubleshoot especially when you're splitting the network in half and you're going apart and like when i have comm issues and I'm, we're talking about splitting the network and you start at the beginning and you get a couple boards on you 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 know that the the E2 is not the problem. Or the controller is not the problem. You go to the first two boards. I split it off from there. I plug the first two boards in. If I get it on or the first board, I get that one online. Then I just keep going. So then I may jump five boards, you know, and, uh, you know, bite off a bunch. And if I unplug the rest of the network and get those five boards on, okay, then I keep going on. I just keep moving on down the line. But if I don't know where to go on the line, we got a huge problem. I'm going to be spending a bunch of time trying to figure out what this comm loop is going and tracing it out. And that's why labeling your wires and actually following the print is a uh, uh, great thing. But also yeah. I don't know who some of these prints because they're terrible. So I'm, I'm sitting here thinking while you're talking and, and uh, you're expecting someone that can't use a broom to label wires and follow a print. And or pick up their material or mess or. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I room a couple of weeks ago, and I was uh, very concerned. Really? Oh yeah, I mean, 
I figured something bad was about to happen. If you guys don't know, electricians are probably the laziest, or the not laziest, the worst at cleaning up their mess ever. All right. Well, hey, we're going to cut it off there. Um, you know, we'll have more information. We'll we'll get uh, deeper into uh, you know different manufacturers and, and get you some concrete voltages and stuff. In the next uh, next podcast we do. Um, guys, thanks a lot for listening again, and uh, catch you next time. Yep. Have a nice night, guys. What is this shit everyone's looking for us today? We're ducking Trisha because she wants to talk to Obi-Wan here about her video setup. Why him? Kevin. He's an electrical genius. He won the science fair in eighth grade by turning his mom's vibrator into a CD player. He's some chicken wire and shit. Motherfuckers like MacGyver. No, motherfuckers better than MacGyver.